Welcome to Hoopstradamus. I'm Adam Shalafu, joined by Josh Sclare and Gabriel Wilkins. Gabriel, this is your first time coming on. Uh, Josh, this is your second or third time coming on. Uh, Gabriel, why don't you introduce yourself to the world here? Well, you know, for those who don't know me, I cover the Houston Rockets for hoopsabbit.com. Always been a love and purveyor basketball. Be on your platform once again, talking sports with you, Adam. I know we go back to Radio Default Sports, you know, uh, New 24, talking a lot about the NBA uh, basketball world and what's been going on. And even though I know we've been slowed down by a pandemic, um, it's always great to be talking hoops with you. Oh, likewise, my friend. It's been way too long. And uh, I am pretty sure all three of us have done plenty of shows together in person back in the legendary Radio DePaul Sports Studio before it was even moved to the Loop Campus. All uh, some DePaul alumni, obviously, here. Let's jump right into things, because we got plenty to get to today uh, as we get closer and closer each day to basketball resuming. As you mentioned, we kind of got put on pause. The world got put on pause by this pandemic, but we're about to hit that start button in just a few short weeks. Uh, Before we get into the future, let's get a little bit more into the past. We just wrapped up a project called The Basketball Time Machine. Episode one, uh, Hami and I uh, did a YouTube video on Dr. J. Uh, Josh, you're working right now uh, with me on doing some research on Jerry Sloan. Now, Gabriel, I know you said you had some insight as well on the doctor, so I'm gonna give you the floor. Oh man, when I when I think about the doctor, I think about one of the most underappreciated players in recent memory to ever man the small four position. And he laid the blueprint for the position. You mm-hmm. know, when you think about it, he's the guy that made it cool to play out in the passing lane and get out in the open floor and throw down the slam dunk. You know, he took what Connie Hawkins did and, and, and to a whole completely different level. And if you include his ABA career with his NBA career, he's one of only eight guys in the history of the sport to score over 30,000 points in his career. You know, the only guys who've ever scored more is Kareem, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and Dirk Nowinski. So when you, you throw that into, you know, the, the parallel, when you talk about Dr. J, he was an innovator. And he was really the first true face of the league when he made that decision to jump from the ABA to the NBA in the wake of the merger um, and became the lead man on the Philadelphia 76ers in the mid-70s. Uh, I mean, he, he was in a league of his own, and he did it all. You know, whether it was scoring in the low post, um, stealing guys off, you know, using his athleticism to finish, or whether it was, you know, using his game in the high pinch post area to shoot over the top of guys, he was really the first player that I can honestly say made it cool to average 25 to 5. And the way that he did it was so stylistically innovative mm-hmm. and to the point where you still see a lot of guys that are molded in this image today. It wouldn't be a LeBron James without a guy like Dr. J. I, I completely agree. And kind of going off what you're saying about a guy who's able to do it all, as Hami mentioned, this is a guy who could do like a 5-5-5 a five, five and five game or a 5-5-5-5 five, 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 five or whatever it is. Uh, I didn't realize so much how good of a defender he was and how much 
Kawhi Leonard I see in him on that side of the floor where he's one of the very best on the perimeter, but he's also one of the very best uh, protecting the basket as well. And uh, I, you know, I see a little bit of Zion Williamson even as crazy as that sounds just in the second jump ability. And the fact that both guys are about average height, but they're so strong and athletic that they're able to just go over bigger players to pull down the rebounds. And uh, just one of the many facets of an incredibly aesthetically pleasing game. I agree. And I, and I even see a, a lot of LeBron in him. Like, cause to me, Dr. J was really the first guy that made the chase down block. Who, you know, he had a lot, yeah. lot of those. And, and, and I can see what you, what you say when you talk about Kawhi in regards to his ability to play the passing lane and get out on the open floor for a dunk. But it just was the way that he did. It. You know, it, it was like he swooped in like a condor for most of his season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> home jam for two. And I think that Connie Hawkins, you know, rest in peace, he doesn't really get a lot of the credit that he deserves for making that, you know, the game to play. But mm-hmm. Dr. Jake damn sure popularized. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Uh, and Josh, you've been doing the homework for a little bit here. Uh, I just caught my first whole game. I've been watching some highlights. But what are, what are some of your impressions so far on – one of the grittiest dudes I've ever seen, uh, Jerry Sloan. I got to say, Jerry Sloan has to be one of my more fair players to watch now just from the way he plays because as two guys, uh, three, all three of us from Chicago, from the Chicago area, the thing about Chicago basketball is we love seeing hustlers on the floor. And this yeah. guy hustled for every single rebound. Probably the best, next to Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, he's the best rebounding guard that I have seen especially for his time. Many argued, I think Jerry West said he was probably the first or second best defender in the league every year he played him. He said he was probably one of the toughest guys that he had to face in terms of guys guarding him. He said he was the best offensive rebounder. I believe in that 75 Western Conference final, he said that was the best offensive rebounder that he had seen at the guard position ever. And for me, just to watch him play, that's what you want to see out of any player on any given night. He didn't have the most ability. He had a decent jump shot, but he wasn't very good at – he wasn't the greatest at driving to the rim. Everything he got was off a of hustle. Yeah. His steals, his blocks, the amount of charges he tried to draw every game. I probably counted, I think, six times he tried to draw a charge in that Warriors-Bulls game. Just That's- the incredible amount of tenacity that he had. It's just it's – un- it's unparalleled. And it'll get you far anywhere you go in the game of basketball. It'll get you a lot of places. I completely agree with what you're saying about the charges there. That's the first thing I notice is I, this guy just lives to sacrifice his body, you know, and the, the defensive IQ to realize when a guy's starting to lose control and then the quick feet to get there and take the charge. And it made me realize uh, one dude, I didn't necessarily expect to see this comparison going in, but I see a ton of Patrick Beverly, you know, like, he'd be one of the most hated players in the league just because everyone would be like, oh, damn it, I got Jerry Sloan guarding me right now. I can't do anything, you know? Uh, and even if it's someone who would be able to score on him and uh, get their buckets against him, he's going to slow you down. And no matter what, he's not going to be afraid of you. He's going to be way up in your grill. We see the pictures of P-Bev, like, getting up in somebody's jersey, you know? 
And you see that same intensity in Jerry Sloan. And I like what you said about how that's kind of – you see some, some guys come from Chicago who play with that defensive intensity. And this is a dude who uh, really grew up in a super poor area uh, way down in southern Illinois. And he had to fight for everything he had to take Evansville to the two championships and win those two championships. But you see that mentality when you watch the film on him. You see that he's a dude who had to work for everything. Yeah, and, you know, he embodied that spirit of that Bulls team, the way they played. If you watch that Bulls team, it's all about second chances and out hustling guys because they didn't have the most talent on the floor a lot of nights. What they – their bread and butter was playing hard defense, holding you to between 100 and 105 points a game or under 100 points, and playing a slow half-court-paced offense. But the thing that made it great was get the turnover, get the steal, Norm Van Leer out on the fast break, dishing it to guys on the fast break and giving them those easy transition baskets. That's what made them such a great team. The thing that they struggled with was they never had a shot blocker. Tom Berwinkle was not a shot blocker. And once they got Nate Thurman, he was at the end of his career, and he actually didn't even start. He only, he only played about 20 minutes a game that last year when they made playoffs. And outside of that, the only player that averaged over two blocks for that team was Clifford Ray, and they traded him for eight. So what they didn't have, they made up for with tough defense, and a lot of they were a big jump shot shooting team. And if they shots weren't falling, it was not going to be a pretty night for them. But they made up for it with great offensive rebounding and hustle everywhere on the floor. It's a really fun team to watch. Awesome. Well, call me Doc, because we're about to go back to the future here. Uh, The NBA return is imminent. It looks like it could be the 30th now instead of the 31st. That just came out a few hours ago. We were recording. It is the 11th of June, uh, Mountain Time, where I'm recording from. It's about 1 p.m. And so I just saw the notification that they're trying to target the June – or I'm sorry, the July 30th return – And so let's get a little bit into this because we were in the midst of a very special basketball season. Uh, Obviously the return isn't going to be, we're not going to get the full slate of games, but we're going to have our eight games. We're going to establish seating when it's all said and done. We're going to have our teams. Uh, But let's, let's talk about some end of year awards. The first one I want to start with, I think is a very interesting one. Who are your guys' thoughts on coach of the year. Gabriel, we'll we'll start with you. Man, this is something that I've been back and forth between thinking about, you know, prior to the show. For me, I got to go with Nick Nurse. I know Eric Spolster's had a successful year, an incredible year in Miami, but when you look at what Nick Nurse has been able to do in spite of having a roster that at moments in the season has been decimated by injuries Mm -hmm. and guys, you know, in and out the lineup, he's found a way, nonetheless, to lead this Toronto team up to the top of the Eastern Conference stand. Mind you, he's doing it without the presence of who was his best player last year from the season ago, Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. You know, Pascal Siakam has made tremendous strides under his tutelage, um, including Fred Van Vliet, who's a guy that's going to get paid whenever the offseason comes. Sure will. Um, and, and and probably earn a starting point guard role, you know, elsewhere if he doesn't earn that role at Toronto with Cal Lowry still men in the 40th, those one spot. But when I look at what he's managed to do with that roster, 
in spite of having different guys out the, you know, in and out the lineup on night to night basis, it, it has to be him. What do you what do you think, Josh? I see I'm gonna father, you're nodding yes. <laughs> that was gonna be my pick as well, because to lose Kawhi Leonard, one of the five best players in the game. Maybe the best. <laughs> he could be the best. You can make an argument for that. I mean, the guys outside of LeBron and Steph Curry and those teams, he was the one who won championships. And he's the only guy to do it besides LeBron or Steph Curry and a super team. So, but the fact that they are second in the Eastern Conference, the best, giving up the fewest points per game in the league, the second few, lowest field goal percentage in the league, the lowest three-point percentage in the league, the fewest um, two-pointers in the league. I mean, it's just – it's unbelievable what they have been able to do. They also force the second-most turnovers in the league as well. It's just – it's incredible to see what they've been able to do. But more importantly, this goes to the entire Raptors organization. The player development there has been astounding. You look at Norman Powell almost doubling his points per game from last year. He had a Fred m- Van Fleet. Yeah. Fred Van Fleet, OJ Unanobe. Um, now, I mean, it's just – Pascal Siakam, another great example. Just the ability for them to be able to take these guys and now transform Siakam into the premier players in the league, it's just astounding. And it just goes to – and it, it's, an, it's just incredible to see really what they've been able to do. And I'm excited to see just how far Pascal can go because he's only 25 years old. And right now he's just reaching, his, he's just reaching what he can do in terms of his potential. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see. He's already averaging – 23, 7, and 4. And I don't think he's close to finishing where he is ceiling-wise. Yeah, you know, I think that he really stepped up into that best player on the team role after Kawhi left. And I think that credit has to go to him, of course, with the hard work he's put in, uh, in the versatility he uh, shows every single night. Uh, But, yeah, I agree with you guys. I think Nick Nurse is my pick, too. I do think there's some other people who should be in the conversation. Uh, one dude, Billy Donovan. I mean, the no one expected the Thunder to be as good as they were. They got a haul back in that trade. They have a decently deep roster. But to be 40 and 24 at this point is super impressive. And then when you look back at the East, the Miami Heat, I think a lot of people slept on their roster going into the season. But – Eric Spolstra is just a master of adapting to the personnel he has provided. And he's proven that yet again. And uh, similarly to the way Nick Nurse has helped develop Pascal Siakam, Bam Adebayo has turned into one of the very best centers in the NBA. But to turn it back to Nick Nurse, and I definitely want to talk about Norman Powell, that's a dude who quietly had some monster months. And he was unhealthy for a while this year. But, geez, they lost Danny Green, too. And Norman Powell, I'd, I'd say an upgrade. Maybe he's not the defender that Danny Green was. But Norman Powell has been having his best year is a pro. One thing I love about the Raptors is just the selfless identity, how well they share the rock. And one of the reasons they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs is because how hard nose they play on defense. I think a lot of things are going to break down. I think that it's inevitable that you're going to have some guys, even if their game isn't rusty, let's say that you have a team with 12 dudes 
who've been shooting every single day and working on their individual game, if they haven't had the chance to play five versus five with their teammates, then the chemistry inevitably is going to diminish a little bit. And so that is going to give the advantage to the teams that win games with will. And I think the Raptors meet that criteria for me. I also think the Los Angeles Clippers meet that criteria. One dude I'm leaving out of the coach of the year conversation is Frank Vogel. And I think Frank Vogel has done an excellent job, but let's be honest. He has LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, and what's impressive about Nick nurse is they just lost their best player as we all mentioned, but they found a way to uh, continue to evolve and not only change their style in subtle ways, but they found a way to do that while maintaining their identity as a team, just minus Kawhi. And to add to your point on that, Adam, what I really like about Nick Nurse and the Raptors, he get his game plans are second to none. Nick Nurse is not afraid to try anything that goes against the grain of other coaches in a live game. I seen him do it, you know, against Houston when it came to covering James Hart. You know, he was running multiple triple teams at him, trying to force the ball out of his hand. And even though guys like Ben McLemore and Daniel House beat him, you know, by shooting the, the rock from beyond the arc at a high clip, you know, you don't see a lot of coaches typically doing that. And I got to give him a lot of respect in that regard for being willing enough to try various things and tinker with lineups in ways that most coaches will not do. I, I completely agree. Uh, Josh, any any closing thoughts on uh, this part of the conversation before we move into Defensive Player of the Year? Yeah, I just wanted to give some praise to Frank Vogel. The thing that I loved is I when they hired him as the head coach, I really thought that that was going to be a huge change and a huge help to the Lakers because we've seen what this guy can do. He had an Indiana roster, then got them within one game of the NBA Finals just, um, I believe, seven years ago. And had them on the verge of, I believe they were the one seed in 2014, in the 2014, if I'm not mistaken, in the Eastern Conference. So this is a guy who, when he, when chips are down, when he has talent on his team, is able to produce and able to coach a really good team to a high level of success. And now he's got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and you're seeing a team that's very likely going to go to the finals. And he's been able to work with LeBron, I feel like, because you know, when you've got LeBron on your team, you've got two coaches. You don't have just one. So you have to manage the fact that you're going to have LeBron and you've also got to focus on the rest of the team. And I think Vogel has found a very good balance for that. And the team has succeeded because of that. Fair enough. Josh, I'm going to keep the microphone on you right now. Who's your pick for defensive player of the year? It's for me, it's really, I would, I probably have to go with Anthony Davis right now, I think, but I think it's going to be a very close race. I think Rudy Gobert can win it once again. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely a possibility. You could, I mean, you could argue Giannis, but I think that team is so good. That team has a multitude of good defenders. And I feel like because he's on such a good team, it, because of that, he has the lowest, he has the best defensive rating in the league. But I think just because he has the best defense rating, I don't think we should, that should, we should take into consideration the, also the fact that he has the best team. 
and because they're so good to collectively defensively as a team. When you look at Anthony Davis, he clogs that middle. He stops you. He can guard one through five because he's got the quickness to be able to do it. Giannis does as well. But Anthony Davis, without Anthony Davis, I don't know where the Lakers would be right now. I think they'd be struggling right now. They might even be in the seven or eight spot. And he's been the most valuable pickup for any team this season so far, without a doubt. And the Bucs, I feel like, even though Giannis's presence would still be a formal defensive team and would still be in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. So I feel like on top of defensive players of the year, I think we also have to look at the value that that person brings. And Anthony Davis brings a value to that Lakers team defensively that they did not have in previous years. You make a really good point there about team defense, Josh, because one of the interesting things I've been monitoring uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks all season is they have currently – Three guys in the top five as far as defensive rating goes. Brooke Lopez was never considered an elite defender, but by the defensive metrics, he's only behind Giannis. And then Chris Middleton is at number five uh, right after. So it's Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, and then uh, Chris Middleton. And so you're absolutely right that they play great team defense. Uh, And so I see what you're saying there. Gabriel, what do you think? I actually agree with Josh. If I had to have a pick, I would pick Anthony Davis to win it. But I'm going to go with the guy who I think that the majority of the media and the press to give it to, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. He, granted, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks as a team have the best defense in the league by far. However, Giannis Antetokounmpo leads the league in defensive rating alone yeah. of most players. In by a lot, too. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah, you know, wide margin. And he also leads the league in defensive win shares. And like, you know, Josh said, he can guard one through five, but he also has the ability to cover so much ground. Mm. And he he allows guys on that team, such as Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton, and even Eric Bledsoe, to gamble more in coverages than most teams would be able to do right. um, with, with his size and his, when his, and his activity on the defensive end. So I would have to go with Giannis. And he's made more willing commitment and a much more concerted effort to improve it on the defensive end of the floor. I think he adored Hakeem when it's all said and done is the only player to ever win MVP and defensive player of the year in the same season. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. Giannis is my pick too. I mean, he just flies in like a pterodactyl. You think you're going to get a bucket and then all of a sudden he's flying in and sending that into the stands. Uh, both Anthony Davis and Giannis have something in common, which is the ability to pretty much guard one through five. I feel like Giannis is just a smidge quicker, uh, but they both have, they're super long. And those are the pretty much the two best defensive teams in the league too. And one of the reasons I had them picked going into this season to meet in the NBA finals is because of the way those teams were built. Uh, their teams with shooting all over the floor. Only a few guys you don't necessarily want taking a ton of threes on either team. And then just elite defensively and the ability to gamble, as you mentioned, with guys like Anthony Davis and Giannis. Because uh, you look at the Lakers and, I mean, it's pretty intentional what they were trying to do. They surrounded LeBron with elite rebounding and three and D wings. And then Mm -hmm. they gave him the ball and said, all right, 
switch your 23 to a 32 and let's see your Magic Johnson impression. And he's delivered all year. That's a whole different conversation. But the reason I feel like I got to go with the Bucks is when I look at that team and how good that defense is as a team, I think a lot of that is because of their anchor defensively, which is Giannis, who makes guys like uh, Lopez and Middleton better. And if you have a player, like let's say you're, you're playing the Houston Rockets in the finals, if you have a player who you can put on James Harden, and let's say you're playing the Denver Nuggets in the finals, that same player can guard Nikola Jokic. I think that might be the only dude – I can't think of anyone ever, frankly – who can do the things Giannis can in that regard, especially now that the dude's kind of turning into a tank. He was a little skinnier earlier in his career, but now that he can't be pushed around at all in the post, it's really kind of opening Pandora's box where there is no cap on his potential defensively. I think Hakeem Olajuwon is a very interesting uh, comparison, especially because that's a guy who was ahead of his time as far as having excellent feet, and someone who could probably guard one through five. Uh, I don't know if he's as quick as Giannis, but Hakeem got a lot of those blocks because how quickly he could move to the ball and, um, you know, made the whole team better defensively. All right. Now let's uh, keep going down the line here. Rookie of the year. This is an interesting one. We had uh, the obvious name kind of jumped in in the middle of the season. I don't know if he did enough. Uh, Gabriel, we'll start with you and I'll reverse the order here. I don't, I don't think it should be a close contest or debate. Uh, I go with the number two overall pick in last year's draft, and his name is John Morant. Mm. You know, we talk about a guy who was averaging anywhere between 17 and 6 uh, over the course of the season. They said he couldn't shoot the three ball, and he proved them wrong. He shot 36% from deep uh, throughout the season. And, and last but not least, he's taking a Memphis team that most people projected to be a team that will have a top three pick in the lottery and put them on the precipice of making it back into the playoff. Uh, that says a lot about his leadership. And he's also made a lot of the players around him much better, such as Jaron Jackson, Brandon Clark. And those guys believe in it. And you don't see that too much when it comes to rookies in the league. When they're going into the battles of war and it's the fourth quarter and they know that they have a guy that could get them a bucket, if not put them in a position to get a bucket, um, you know, be great at that level. So with that said, I, I have to go with John Moran. He's by far the runaway favorite to me for rookie of the year. Right on. What about you, Josh? I'd agree with Gabriel. I think while we can agree Zion Williamson has come onto the scene in an explosive way, Came in too late in the season, I feel, to be regarded, to be considered yeah. for the award. And John Moran's been putting in work the entire season. Maybe if it was the Michael Carter-Williams year or the Anthony Bennett year, maybe he'd be able to steal it. <laughs> but he's not going to steal it from Ja. Ja's been electric all year. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. And he's brought an energy back to that Memphis team. And the thing is with that Memphis team, that's a team that is – Keep an eye on them. We, we talked about them in a previous episode, Adam, and that's a team that has a lot of potential, a mm -hmm. lot of young talent. The oldest guy, I think, in – I mean, they have a few guys in the rotation, but I think they've only got one guy in their rotation right now that is 30 years old or older, and that would be Gorgie Jang, and he's only played 12 games this season. That's a young team that has some cap space, 
It's got room for potential. They've got a very nice base already. And Brandon Clark is only 23 years old and is becoming one of the better players off the bench in the league and is probably going to be taking a starter role in the next year, maybe even two. And I expect him to take a major league. Could be a most improved player of the year candidate next year if he's in the starting lineup and plays more major minutes. And I just think this is a team that's going to be very interesting in the Western Conference for the next few years. And it's going to be very exciting to see what they can do. I love Jaron Jackson. And you can tell when you watch Jaron Jackson's game that his father was a guard, you know, because this is a guy, when you look at the direction that basketball is headed, you want players like Jaron Jackson who can do everything, uh, especially the versatile big men. Uh, But to go back to Ja, yeah, I feel like this is totally his award. I think, frankly, I think it would be an atrocity. No disrespect to Zion Williamson, but as you said, he came in too late. Ja's been playing all year. Uh, He is one of the most spectacular players to watch in the air, much like Zion Williamson, where Zion is a lot of power. Ja is a lot of finesse. The way he can contort his body. I see a little bit of D. Rose. I see a little bit of Michael Jordan. Uh, I I can't believe I'm saying that. But, yeah, he is somebody who can slash. And then when the defense collapses, I'm not saying – Josh is making eyebrows at me. I'm not saying he is Michael Jordan. But You know. (laughs) When the defense collapses and he has to do something creative, when he has to improvise in the air, uh, he's one of the guys who can do that at such an elite level, a la Julius Irving or Dwayne Wade. Uh, and geez, he took that Memphis team to new heights immediately. And so, uh, super impressive there. We're running out of time here a little bit, but we're going to do a quick little run through. We're not going to, we're going to save some teams for the next few weeks. We got some time to kill, but we're going to play a little game called pretender or contender. We're going to go around the virtual room here shout out to zoom for extending our meeting so we can fit this one in (laughs) just got the notification here uh but let's go and start with yeah let's have some fun with it gabriel the houston rockets contender or pretender i'm gonna go with contender anytime you got guys like russell westbrook and james hart guys that have led the league in scoring and assists you know in, in various seasons teaming up in a backcourt to form a new world order parent, you know, you you have a chance. And I think this break benefits them more than any other team in the league because they had a lot of guys that were banged up in that small ball rotation, such as P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, to name a few. You give those guys some time to get right, their body right, three months is more than enough time. I think they're going to be a team that's a tough out uh, for guys if they don't come ready, prepared uh, to run up and down over the 48-minute ball game. What do you think, Josh? I'd agree. I think they are a contender because, uh, like Gabriel was talking about, they did have a lot of injuries. And also, this is a team with two of the best scorers in the game. And Russell Westbrook has, I feel, been able to – and the thing is, the amazing thing is, James Harden hasn't been the best player on this team the last three months. It's been Russell Westbrook, in my opinion. Yeah. Russell Westbrook is really taking control as the best player on this team, I feel like, up and down the floor. And – I think that because they have two of the best players in the league, that's going to make a world of difference. Whereas, you know, you have a team like Denver who has a great roster and has great team chemistry. Who is that guy who's going to take over the game? Do they have that guy that's going to be able to take over and drop 30 to 35 
and any given night. I don't really feel like they have that. And I think the Rockets have two of them. And I feel like once you get back into playing, because you've been off for so long, when you have those two kind of guys who can take over games like that, it's going to make a major difference. And if they continue to play the way they are, that 3-6 matchup against Denver is looking mighty interesting right now. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up Denver because they're kind of the antithesis, if you will, of what the Houston Rockets do. The Rockets don't really have a center. And my answer to you, who's the guy on, on Denver, Josh, is, his name is Playoff Jokic. And we saw a glimpse of him last uh, last spring, last summer, when he was pulling out triple doubles every night. Uh, I've also heard, and you know, living in the Denver area, I follow a lot of Nugget stuff. This guy apparently has a six pack right now, so I'm interested to see what Jokic looks like without the baby fat. This is a team I've had my eye on all year for obvious reasons. I remember. Uh, during the running with the Bulls season preview, I was talking about the Houston Rockets. And at, at first I was like, no, that, no way this is going to work. And then I thought more about this and I'm like, okay, who's coaching this team? And it's Mike D'Antoni. And D'Antoni is a revolutionary coach. His greatest skill is to think outside the box. And so I'm like, all right, so what's Westbrook going to look like with D'Antoni? somebody who's made Jeremy Lin look like a superstar, right? Well, to borrow a term from Microsoft, the PowerPoint, you know? And having a rebounder that can go get the ball and then lead the break with that much speed, it's a matchup nightmare. To have a dude who can go and out-rebound the guys who are close to seven feet tall, who can out-quick the Giants like Nikola Jokic, that's going to present a matchup nightmare. However, I think eventually they're going to run into a team that is going to be able to beat them on the glass. And I think that the isolation ball could present problems. Uh, I don't want to necessarily write them off because one of the hardest things about beating the Rockets is teams are going to – teams are – going to be trying to figure out how to stop something that the world hasn't really seen too much of where you have PJ Tucker and Robert Covington as your centers that's going to present a problem so maybe Dan Tony gets his this year who knows but I do think that when they run into uh, a team like the Los Angeles Lakers or the Los Angeles Clippers I don't know who who wins uh, Rockets, Nuggets. I think that one goes seven either way. But I could see them having problems uh, on the glass. Uh, let's let's keep going around the world here. Let's uh, let's keep it in the Lone Star State, though. Josh, what do you think about the Dallas Mavericks? I would have to say pretender. I don't think they're there quite yet. I think they've got a lot of talent, but I think this team is still. I think this team is still two years, probably a year or two away from really being able to contend. I think they need another piece there. They have a great system around them. Luca and Porzingis, a dominant pairing. But I think the thing with me is with, um, you know, Porzingis is Porzingis can still, he's got, he's had injury problems. And if he can't stay healthy, that team's not really going anywhere. And I feel like they're still, while they do have an amazing pairing, I think that they still need that third guy. And they don't quite have that third guy right now. They have a lot of good depth on that team, but I'm still trying to figure out who is going to be that third guy. And I think they still are short because 
while I think the Lakers can get away with it, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Tim so Hardaway that's what, Jr.? Hmm? Tim Hardaway Jr.? He could, Tim could get into that role. He has really solidified himself as that third option, but he's not, he's not a good enough defender where it's going to make a serious impact. And I think Luka, while Luka, Luka's shown promise as a defender, he's still not quite the premier defender that you're going to need. And I still feel like this team needs a few more pieces for them to really become a serious contender. So I say they're a pretender for or this. Maybe just a few more years. When I don't Luka, even know if it's a few more years. We saw what the Oklahoma City Thunder did with Durant, Harden, and Westbrook. So it can be done. But remember, those are also that's a team with three superstars, right? Yeah. Young. I, I think so. Luca, he's just such a natural facilitator. He's obviously a guy who looks to get his own a lot too. Uh, I, I agree with you that I think they're a pretender, but long term. And, and Gabriel, I'll, I'll about to turn it back to you too, because I remember we were talking about this last summer. I think I had a very hot take. I said, hey, the Mavs might win a championship in the five, next five years or something like that. I feel pretty good about that, uh, seeing the way things have developed, seeing the way they've done certain things with their roster. And honestly, good for Seth. Good for Seth Curry because he's a super important part of that team, and he's a perfect complementary fit to a guy like Luka Doncic and a team uh, that uses spacing and depth so well. Uh, I think they got a few years. What do you think, Gabriel? Oh, long term, they, they're definitely contenders. You know, they they got two pieces with the with the main one and Luca himself being a guy that doesn't need many shots to get his twenty a game. You know, you look at the box scores of a lot of nights when he's playing. He has twenty five points on fifteen shots, and you know he's become a, a quasi like triple double king in the manner of Westbrook in the with his ability to get his teammates involved and set them up for easy opportunities. They definitely have two core players. I just think that they're missing a wing. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. is nice as a third scoring option, and maybe even as a, you know, a quasi-like six-man alongside of Seth Curry, you know, because they, they have a strong backcourt. But I think at the end of the day, their lack of presence on the wing will be detrimental to them in their run in the playoffs, because when you're going up against a team like the Clippers in round one with a Paul George, you're going up against a team like the Lakers. If you get even farther, you know, in other rounds with LeBron James, you're going to need somebody to cover those guys. And I think the loss of Dwight Powell was big as well. Losing mm-hmm. him, you know, as a, as a backup center, a guy that was a Bobby pick and roll option and a rim protector, that's the guy that during the playoffs that they would have counted on if they'd have had him help. Yeah, that's a good point. Willie Cauley-Stein uh, is good. Don't get me wrong. But I think that he was a uh, – very valuable player for what they did. Let's squeeze in one more team here. Uh, And I'm going to start with this one, the Miami heat. And let me tell you why I think they're a contender. I think the Miami heat are a contender uh, for some unconventional reasons. As I mentioned, it's going to be a different style of play. There is going to be, a lot of breakdowns. There's going to be some sloppy basketball as teams look to rebuild their chemistry. And I think that the hard-nosed teams usually do well in the playoffs anyway. The teams that uh, are going to – that already have been having a culture of fighting for every loose ball. You know, people play harder in the playoffs, but I think the teams that are already – playing hard can take it to 
maybe they were already at a 10 and maybe everyone's at a 10 now, but maybe they can take it to an 11. And when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler who can, I'd say guard one through four in the modern era, usually that's going to be the kind of guy I want in my corner during these times. Now, you look at the rest of that roster, Bam Adebayo makes everyone around him better. He's an underrated playmaker. And then you have a ton of depth, Tyler Hero, uh, Duncan Robinson. Jimmy Butler can't shoot for a lick this year. I don't know what happened there. But this team still has a lot of playmakers and a lot of shooters. Uh, I love the addition of Jay Crowder reuniting Jimmy Butler with his college teammate is Josh is rocking the Marquette tee today. <laughs> uh, but I think that just their three and D style, hard for me to uh, bet against Eric Spolstra. And then finally, just the, the grit and, and uh, the fire, if you will. I know I'm getting way uh, metaphysical here, but the fire that the Heat play with is much like their logo. You know what I mean? They're going to come in ready to go every single night. Uh, I saw them get their butts kicked against the Denver Nuggets earlier this year. But I think this team has gotten consistently better throughout the year. And with a few key additions, they are now one of the deepest teams in the league. And every single player has that dog in them. You know what I mean? Like, they – like Kendrick Nunn, man, I love what he has brought to the table. He is just a, a tough, tough two-way point guard, and he's super aggressive when he needs to be offensively, and that creates opportunities. And if he's out, you got Dragic. So I, I'm going contender, barely, but I'm going dark horse contender with the Miami Heat. Whoever wants to jump in, go for it. I'll jump in. Go ahead, Gabe. Go ahead, Gabe. You go first. Go ahead, man. They definitely dark horse contender. And that's a team that I don't think anybody in the Eastern Conference, even before this uh, the suspension of the season, want to face in a seven-game series because they're going to make you work. Mm-hmm. And I think they're the biggest beneficiary of this three-month-long layoff because when those guys come back ready to go, if they can get guys to knock down big-time shots and Jimmy Butler finds his shot, like you said, he was struggling early in the year, this, this is a team that can be very, very dangerous. Uh, I, I agree with you, Adam, in regards going to be in a dark sure. All right, Josh, floor is yours. This is the – I think this is the team that the Milwaukee doesn't want to face in the playoffs. This is the team I think Miami – I think Milwaukee is scared of the most because only team to beat them twice so far and give them the two toughest games that they've had, Bam can guard Giannis. He gives Giannis fits all game long, and they have multiple defenders that can take him. Jimmy Butler and Bam – can take some energy out of Giannis and force him not into because Giannis is going to get his, but he really struggled in that game again in Miami right before on March second. Giannis was six for eighteen. The entire team really struggled. They were seven of thirty-four from three, and I'll give it to him. Miami had a great night. They went eighteen for thirty-seven from deep, and a lot of times in order to beat a team like Milwaukee, you have to shoot lights out from the from three-point line. Miami's number one in the league at three-point percentage. So if there's a team that can knock it down on a consistent level for four out of seven games, I think it's going to be Miami. And they have the guys in terms of wing depth and defense to be able to slow Giannis down because you're not going to stop him. You're going to stop Michael Jordan. But you, but can, you can put Jimmy Butler on him or something. Right. And then you have can slow Bam him down him. to a point where 
if you can slow him down, knock him on the ground a little bit, get him tired, lower his energy levels, you're going to be able to get him on a few drives to the basket, a few more threes. He's going to be out of position here and there. And because they can spread the floor, that creates a lot of problems. And because of Bam's presence down low, I think this is the team that's going to give Milwaukee the biggest problems in the playoffs because I think they're going to beat the Raptors in six games because they don't have why. Oof, I love that take. That's that's spicy, but I like that take. I think that uh, those they can't are... beat them without Kawhi. They can't. They're not going to beat the Bucks without Kawhi. They're not. What do you think of that, think Gabriel? I, I don't. I don't think they beat the Bucks, but they definitely challenged the Bucks. And I know for a fact, watching the regular season meetings, because I definitely caught that first regular season meeting against uh, the Bucks in Milwaukee. Giannis struggles inside with Bam. Mm. That's that's a big fact. Like he he doesn't he that's not a that's not a good matchup for him at all. I, I will say that. So I, I think that they can challenge it, but it's all about shot making and, and creating. And if they got their guys operating and clicking at a high level, anything can happen. All right. Yeah, I think that uh they're gonna be able to do a lot of things matchup wise. They're gonna be able to get you know, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, they're going to be able to give Giannis more defensive looks than probably any other team besides maybe the Raptors in the Eastern Conference. And so uh, I'm pleasantly surprised that uh, you guys are with me on the contendo train here because uh, I think that they are certainly an uh, interesting team. The team I'm actually most interested right now and – you know, I'm a Bulls fan. I don't hide that. I got a giant Michael Jordan right behind me, you know. But I like when it comes down to the playoffs, especially these last few seasons, I've kind of had to pick teams that I'm like, all right, who, who do I want to pull for this year? And this year is going to be the Miami Heat. If, if you take a player I've seen in high school, uh, Josh, as you know, you went down to Peoria with me one year. And yes, you know, if, if there's a dude – like, I have the same thing with Jalen Brunson. If there's a dude I've seen in high school, I'm going to root for him in the pros, even if it's fat Eddie Curry or Jalil Okafor, you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, any any closing thoughts as we wrap this one up? Uh, anything we have or have not touched on, please don't go on a tangent. I think we covered it all, man. I think we did. I think we got a good – we had a good show today. I think we covered all the bases. We had a blast. Gabriel, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll definitely be looking to get you uh, more open looks and just keep knocking them down. Uh, this has been Hoopstradamus. We are only available on Spotify right now. Uh, that's where you can find us. If you're looking for the Basketball Time Machine video, you can find that on FooTube, F-O-U-X Tube on YouTube. FooTube. And... Uh, it's, it's up there. You can catch some awesome Dr. J highlights and see me and Hami talk about the doctor for about half an hour. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Artwork for the Hoopstradamus Basketball Podcast was provided by Evan Butris. Check out more of Evan's graphic design work at www.evanb.work or on Instagram at The Wax Cowboy. That handle, once again, The Wax Cowboy.